hello everyone, I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. And now I invite you to settle in and help me find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our sacred time together is just as meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. All right, let's get started. This podcast is being recorded on January 10th, 2021. We had on January 6th an attack on the nation's capital. And these are indeed extraordinary, urgent times. And many of you are afraid and concerned and worried and confused. And I have offered myself through my various platforms to discuss some of the things that are going on. But I also felt compelled to do a six-part series on TikTok called The Radicalization of American Christianity. Because it's time for us to understand the marriage between politics and religion here in America. This, folks, can make you uncomfortable, especially for those of you like myself who grew up in organized religion. For me, I grew up a Southern Baptist and navigated through the various Christian denominations um, throughout my life. And when I was ready to consider my religious heritage connection to this season of our lives, I was able to see for myself religion's connection to white supremacy. That's difficult to say out loud, my friends, but it is time for us to accept this. It doesn't mean that your religion has to be flawed The only thing that is flawed is if you're protecting it somehow or you're denying its existence. So if you haven't seen that six-part series yet, I invite you to go on TikTok at Rev Carla to look at that. You can also go to my website at RevCarla.com where you will see my blog post where I continue that conversation about this. So today is a continuation of that. So I invite you to stay here with me and get uncomfortable as we dispense of my teaching themes that I had set up for the year. Sometimes life dictates us to come up and use our voices for what's happening right now. So on the email that went out with my blog post this week, I asked, I started by asking this question and it was, I wonder what the last straw was. And I was just pondering what happens, what, what, what goes through people's minds when they unsubscribe or they unfollow me. Because each week we get this analytical report that tells us how we are trending across all of our platforms. And in case you're wondering, we're doing great, but it always tells me how many subscribers have uh, opted out and how many people have unfollowed, even though the trend is upward. There are always people that there, there's a percentage that tell, that indicates how many people have left. And inevitably, I always ask, well, what was it? What finally sent them over the edge? Because I know as this tension grows and this political crisis that we are in here in the country, we who are social activists and see that our spirituality is attached to that, our voices or should I, I should say our voices should be getting louder. Our alliances should be getting stronger. Our coming together should be more often. And for those of you who follow me who are on the spiritual but not religious path, you're trying to understand 
where these bridges are from your sacred activists, your call to leave this world a kinder, more just place for everyone versus where you are in your country. What does history have to tell us about this place in time? So what I usually say when I see these reports and I see that people have left, I say, I just give a silent prayer and I'll say blessings on your journey because I'm not here trying to change anybody's mind about my beliefs or your beliefs. What I am doing is pushing back on toxic beliefs that infiltrate the political system that limits the rights of others based on the color of their skin, where they're born, who they love, or their gender identity, because that is not freedom from religion. That's suppression of, of human rights. And that very much has a spiritual aspect to it for those of us who connect our sacred activism to our spirituality. So, what I think now is going to happen as we enter a time of, in our lives where we can hope that after January 20th, things are going to change for us in this country, but it's not an invitation to go back to sleep. It's an invitation, it's a requirement that we step through this portal and that we ensure that what happened with the insurrectionists attacking our capital never happens again. And the only way we do that is by accompanying our new leaders into a new era for America, where we the people make sure that we no longer can assume that politics can take care of everything that's, that needs to be done in America, that we are all responsible in some aspect. So do I suspect that after we look at the analytical reports this week that we're going to see some unsubscribing? I do. Do I think it's going to be, a, be my first down, downward trend ever? I absolutely do not. As a matter of fact, we've been growing exponentially on every platform since I released a couple of videos that invited people to this table of spirituality where equity and humanity and social justice are the beacons for us in moving forward. So to you who may be uncomfortable this week on some of the things we're talking about, I say blessings on your journey if this is where the crossroads intersects and um, you are going to be moving away, leaving me to wonder. I wonder what finally was the last straw. I think I already know what that is. So this week, we have had a phenomenal growth, like I said, in some of our platforms. And so some of you have are just now finding my podcast. So in case you've never heard this podcast or you haven't seen some of my writings, I can tell you pure and simple that I write to hold sacred space. That's basically it. I tell stories of life. I tell about my life. I tell about our collective humanity. I see things during life experiences and I say, this is a story to share. There's wisdom here. But this week, there was something about the crisis that said everybody needs to stop and look at not just this, this universal global attack on our nation's capital, but who are the players? And what we need to see is the radicalized sect 
of Christianity that was represented in the people there. And I just want to pause for a second and remind you that we are in our makeshift studios right now in the middle of this pandemic. So you are going to hear some background noises as life happens around me and a cat comes around because he is now annoyed that it's supper time and I'm not feeding him. So please make sure that you just offer us grace that we continue to offer you as well as we just try to do the best with what we've got here. But one of the things that I want to talk about is the radicalization of American Christianity, even though it culminated into on January 6, 2021. This happened long before Donald Trump. And even during this podcast series, I'm going to be glossing over a lot of that history. But as time goes on, I'll be talking more about specific events during, during this podcast and with interviews that will be coming up. Because one of the things that we cannot deny is that this type of radicalized version of Christianity is part of the founding of this country. It started when we as immigrants came to this land and we justified the annihilation and the enslavement of the indigenous people that were here. If you've never studied the Trail of Tears, or if you've never studied what happened to any of the indigenous people that were here, then I invite you to do so. There is a book out there called The Religion, Religious Intolerance in America. It's worth the read, but it's very hard to read. It's very graphic because along the way, it when the, the indigenous people were willing to try to cohabitate with the new settlers, the settlers deceived, rationalized, and justified the annihilation of the people through execution, through enslavement, through torture, to eradicate their rights and take over the land. And they did that all under the banner of Christianity. Now, this type of behavior continued through the Civil War because the South believed that divine providence was with them. And that assured that they would prevail and defeat the evils of the North. Now, their loss did nothing to change their ideology that this white male was charged to dominate and rule this nation. They still believed it. And that is why shortly after their brutal defeat in the Civil War, they began to enforce laws called the Jim Crow laws. If you've never done that, there'll be links in my show notes to all of this. If you've never studied the Jim Crow laws or you know, know nothing about them, you should go read about them. Because this led to things that were just absolutely ridiculous. So for instance, to suppress the black male vote, or to, to even to suppress the black male's owning property, being able to move around freely, they would rec they would um, enforce ridiculous laws that said that blacks could only walk on one side of the sidewalk. Blacks could only move freely around on certain days. Blacks could not own land on a certain part of the city. Blacks could never own land in certain counties if you never if you didn't have ancestors that didn't own land. Now think about that, my friends. How would how would the enslaved black human have access to owning land when they had just been granted their freedom. They knew exactly what they were doing. 
And as time progressed, those laws became just part of the system that people started to accept. So even though you might have large populations of black people like you did in the South, because most of them settled where they were, not being able to afford to move, move closer to people who were more tolerant and compassionate for their, for their cause and for their humanity, they settled there and they began to accept the fact that this is the way life was going to be. And once they had been granted the right to vote, which by the way, when those, vote, those votes came across the House and the Senate, legislators cited scripture once again to suppress the black vote. So this, this continued throughout our politics. But in the 60s, when the black male would then go try to register for vote, they, these ridiculous laws would still be on the books. So here you are in the 60s, and I'm talking the 60s, my friends. I'm alive at this time. We're not talking ancient history. So at this time, this black male might go to the clerk's office to register for vote, and they there would be a, a bowl of marbles there or jelly beans, and they'd say, okay, if you can guess how many jelly beans are in this jar, you can vote. Do you think that anyone was ever going to do that? So even though you might have large black population, the registered black voters would be in the two or three percents. If you haven't watched, I'm sorry, listened to a podcast called White Lies that was produced by NPR Radio, I invite you to go do that now. You can find that on Spotify and iTunes because it tells the story of a minister, James Reeb, who was murdered in Selma, Alabama, right after the the attacks on the people who were who were marching to Montgomery, Alabama to demand rights because they were tired of these Jim Crow laws that were still on the books and preventing them from voting. And there's there's a lot of those statistics and that data are in that. It's like an eight-part series. It's definitely worth the time. So now let's fast forward to of course, let me go, stop for a minute and go to the 1920s when women also wanted the rights to vote. So here we are. Now we're at the point where women are finally trying to be part of uh, society and be equal, at least in the eyes of being able to vote. And guess what the legislators did to prevent the women from voting? Besides instilling fear-based kind of rhetoric, which said that, you know, the, the, the home life would can be completely torn apart if women just were given the rights to vote. They used scripture to justify the suppression of women's votes. This happened repeatedly over time. So you start to see the pattern of how scripture interpreted by Christian leaders in this country was used methodically throughout our history to suppress people who weren't primarily the white male. So that is like the foundation of what brought us to the point of January 6, 2021. So let's move into the 60s where I was going earlier and we have the, we have the, the civil rights uh, movement that's happening at that time. Dr. Martin Luther King went, was killed in 1968. I was seven years old when he was assassinated seven years old. So like I said, this is not ancient history. The people that were alive when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated are alive today. The people that you see photo in those photographs when, the, when Ruby White had to be protected to go up to that steps, that little girl that had to be protected, to go up to that steps when we were going to end segregation, she had to be pr protected by federal marshals 
from the white hatred that was being spewed at her. She was spit on. She had things thrown at her. A six-year-old little girl. Look around in those pictures. Google it. You will see all these people standing around here, my friends. Those people are still alive. Look at the people who, the first time who wanted to go to college. Look at those images of those women spewing hatred. The ones who are standing beside them in a blind, white rage. That just doesn't go away with time. That's been seething for years. And when I, when I visualize that, I think there was, a, there was a picture during the California fires that were so hot and so intense, but the, the cloud cover was so big. But when you viewed it from over the clouds, you could see this red hue underneath those clouds. And you knew the intensity of the fires that were under there. You knew you did not have to break through those clouds to know how intense and dangerous those fires were. That is exactly what has been happening in this country. This fire, this anger, this hatred has been going along for years. This hatred was looking for a leader. And that's what it found in Donald Trump. So now you go to, we're, we're past the 60s and you go into the 80s. And again, there's, there's some intricate webbing of religion. And if you want to go learn some other dark connections to politics and religion, I invite you to go watch a series on Netflix called The Family. And there you will see um, quite a bit more of this story. So I'm just giving you some, more, some of the highlights because we don't have time to go into a lot of the detail. But in the 1980s, Jerry Falwell became a household name because he became ingrained in American politics. Now, Jerry Falwell, if you don't know who he is, he's a very, very prominent um, Southern Baptist minister who was very influential inside the world of religion, especially in his denomination. The Southern Baptists are very powerful inside America as well. But what was happening here at this time was the statistics were already out there, my friends, that the white American Christian was steadily becoming the minority. And to the point now that in present time, they are the minority. Now, you can go, again, the links will be in the show notes, but back then, they knew that the, 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 the link between politics and religion needed to be solidified so that this, quote, moral majority that Falwell formed could begin to bring forth the power of religion to help fortify the power of the white Christian inside politics. Because this type of Christianity felt that it was justified to marry itself to any kind of behavior and corruption and deceit if it meant it was for the glory of the Lord. Now, I know this very much for a fact because even though I can't specifically name names, I won't do that. But in my time in the Christ, this evangelical Christian denom denomination, I was witness to people using corrupt business tactics if it, if it meant that they were able to edify themselves and financially reward themselves. And I often heard people say, 
Well, they don't go to my church. They're not churched. As if someone who is not of their religion was unworthy of respect, of just because of basic human dignity. So this, this comes into this salvation theology that says, I can do whatever I want to in this world because my reward is in the afterlife. I can do whatever here. I'm already saved, so it doesn't matter what I do here. I'm already going to heaven, so who cares? I'll just get there sooner, no matter what. So again, this moral majority came into power, and it became so powerful that when the AIDS crisis came along, uh, then-President Ronald Reagan was following Falwell's advice and basically ignored the AIDS crisis at the beginning. Now this eventually, we know that AIDS uh, globally killed millions of people, but people in America were crying out for help. We had the research, we had treatment that was up and coming, but Reagan did nothing. He withheld funding to help the people because Falwell and his moral majority were convinced that the AIDS crisis was divinely ordered to deal with the LGBTQ humans. They saw them as being detestable, despicable, less than human, and worthy of death. This is one of the ways that you can see the dangerous intersection between religion and politics and how dark it can become when religion is allowed to be one of the filters that decides how people are going to be treated in a fair democracy. So now we are at this point where this belief system that knew that the white Christian male, white Christian was becoming a minority, and it's time for this this, this movement, this, this red rage that's been happening for years since the civil, civil rights. And in my one of the, the six-part series that I did on TikTok, I talk about the, um, the White Lies podcast that's, that NPR produced. And there's a very telling interview that they have. So the sheriff at, in Selma was very much complicit in burying evidence that would have convicted the murderer of James Reeb. That sheriff has since died, but the organizers or the producers of White Lies interviews his daughter for a segment in that podcast. And in it, she says, we were fine here in Selma, and I'm paraphrasing, but she basically says, we were fine here in Selma until that black man showed up. She's referencing Dr. King, and if I remember correctly, she doesn't say black. In other words, this woman's still alive. This was this was produced, I think, three or four years ago. She's still alive, and she's still justifying that time as if Dr. King brought the trouble. Dr. King came to town and caused this. They were fine. Through her, her white lens, everyone was fine because life was good for her. It was inconvenient for her to think about civil rights, basic human rights, for her fellow black humans in her county because that wasn't convenient. Life was good for her. Do you start to see the connection, my friends, where we are today and how January 6th happened? That kind of ideology has been around for years. So just like our forefathers fought for our rights, their rights, I should say, to enslave black humans, they came out of their home, they came out of their churches to, to fight for that right in the Civil War. These 
Americans came together and felt that it, they were justified in fighting for this ideology that requires, that demands that no one besides the white male primarily access the freedoms of this country. Now, my friends, we are to 2015. And like I said earlier, this movement was looking for a leader. Donald Trump did not start this movement. He tapped in to the bigotry and the hatred that was already here since even before the 60s. But the 60s are prominent because those people are still here. They're still talking about these things that they consider offenses to their lives, to their rights. Somewhere along the line, we have gotten into our heads, and I, I really do believe that this comes from a lot of, of religious teachings, organized religious teachings. We've got it into our heads that there's only so much equity that we can give. So as long as we get across the bridge, then we want to burn the bridge. So we don't want to let anybody else across it. And what, what I also find incredibly ironic is in the people that I know, that uh, my friends, my colleagues, my relatives who have voted for Trump, not once, but twice, every one of them is on some kind of government assistance. Every one of them relies on something about the government or about the healthcare system that they want to deny somebody else. Because in that mindset, they believe that they have right, that they're judge and jury about someone else and how they live their lives. And what I also find interesting, even if it's not just through the lens of organized religion, are the ones who will con contact me to say, well, I'm not religious and I don't go to church and I'm not a Christian, but you're wrong. Being gay is wrong. There is no racism in this country. So we do have a set of people who are here having that are that are very much entrenched in racist homophobic beliefs and it, it that's coming from another different set of belief systems so for those of you who will contact me and you will no matter no matter how many times i qualify it in the series i did on tiktok in the in the blog post however many times i qualify it, you're going to contact me and you're going to say well it's not all christians well it's not at my church you know what? I already know that. There are very many, there are so many churches out there that I respect and I admire their leaders. I respect and I admire their openness and their affirming. I'm not talking welcoming churches who just pretend that they're going to let them in, but they can't be in leadership. They can't be baptized. They can't be married if they're, if they're gay or, or, or something like that. I'm talking about open and affirming churches, those kinds of leaders. But here's the truth for all of us, including myself, because I know that I was inside organized religion long enough that I have culpability in this as well. We have known for years that this was boiling up. And I'm talking about we people who are from the Christian religious heritage. We have known this, this is here. We want to pin it on the Westboro Baptist Church radicalized extremist religious sects and point to that to say, well, thank goodness we're not that, all the while knowing that what led to the people holding those Jesus banners and anchoring crosses to during the insurrection 
and the violence that happened on January 6th, we know those people were here. We did little. Religion, specifically Christianity, even if that wasn't your denominational representation at that insurgence, we have responsibility. So there's only so far that we can remove ourselves from it when we know it was there. So we're at a very different crossroads in our lives where many of us know we're no longer going to tolerate it, or you should. And if you are still entrenched in religion, then your conversations from this point forward should look very different, my friends. It's not about being, oh, thank goodness it wasn't you and your church. It should be, what are we going to do as Christians to make sure that the world understands that we are now partners, we are now allies in fighting white supremacy that's entrenched in Christianity, that we are allies to make sure that that our our gay brothers and sisters, um, American brothers and sisters, are having equal rights that we, we experience, that we have in our lives, that we enjoy, that No one is going to be judged in this country by the color of their skin, where they born, who they love, or what they believe. Because that has been the norm for so long, even before Jerry Falwell became even more entrenched into American politics. So be careful about telling us about not all Christians. Because what I want to know, as as you other people want to know, is you as a Christian... What are you doing now? If you're not, then you're complicit. That is where we are in our, this is an urgent situation in our government's time, in our history, in American history. There is no more closing your doors and shutting your windows. This now has entered into every one of our doorsteps. There are people I know who say that they don't feel that they need to get involved in any of the the social justices related to racial equity because it has nothing to do with them. I'm telling you now that what happened on Wednesday is every American's responsibility to step up and speak out, especially if you are a Christian. Because this, my friends, January 6th was our day of awakening. Now, I can tell you that we can look at this snapshot in time of January 6th. We can, we can admit that we were walking here for many, for many centuries. But I can also tell you this, my friends, that we need to accept that there is hope as well. If we, if we back up and we look at collectively our American human, human history, we can say, yes, we have been moving towards kindness and compassion. We no longer enslave humans. Women have the right to vote. Biracial marriages can happen. In ni- I think that happened in 1973. So it, when I was, I think it's 12 years old, it was illegal in this country for a, a black to marry a white or a white to marry a black. Do you see how close we are to these things? So we have been stepping towards equity and justice, but we have so much more to do. So we can't look at this time and get immobilized and paralyzed by what's happening. No, this is our moment in history to make sure that the next level of awakening happens. If not, if you choose to close your doors and shut your blinds, you are on the wrong side of history. 
you will be remembered as complicit. That's hard to hear, my friends, but it is true. Whether it's, and it doesn't have to be you taking to the streets. There's plenty that you can do. You just, you can look for ways to be involved. And if you stay here with me, if this was a, enough to get you activated and not offended, stay here with me because we will be talking more about this as time goes on. Because I do believe that a new America is dawning. I do believe we still have some tough days ahead of us, but, and I want you to hear me when I say this, I believe that January 6th was the start of Americans finally wrenching these hateful, biased hands of radical Christianity from the neck of democracy here in America. America is now for everyone. That's what the vote showed. When it's not suppressed, And when it's not illegally manipulated, Americans have consistently voted for a democracy that represents the entirety of this nation. You're not going to tell me time and again that as we move away from a predominantly white community, that our government representation should not represent the color of the people that are here. The the origins of the people that are here. That's what democracy is. All you have to do is look over time at how it has predominantly been the white male to know that there has been suppression, that there has been immoral corruption that has suppressed people from having a representation in government. That's not going to be tolerated anymore because we who understand that our spirituality is revealed in how we care for everyone, not just our narrow beliefs, then we are the ones who are responsible for making sure that our government will represent all Americans, not just one sect of Americans. That our spirituality is about setting a table for all of us. That there is big enough. That democracy is big enough for everyone that's here. It's not pie, my friends. We're not slicing up micro levels of pie. Whatever fear-based theology you have in your head that makes you think that, it's time to let that go. There is, there, we do not have to burn the bridge when we get across just in time to make sure nobody else can get across. We don't have to have a system that requires someone has to be less than. We just came through a time in a pandemic when the most critical worker, of course the healthcare workers were, but one of the most right behind it was the grocery store person who is so far on the totem pole when it comes to how we care for them who were so exposed to this pandemic that they were the ones who are now suffering as they don't have healthcare, as they don't have the means to take care for their children. No one wants to tolerate that anymore. And if you do, then my friends, this is going to be hard to hear again. Look in the mirror. You're part of the problem. And that is where we need to change things. I know this is hard to hear. I know this may be the end of the road. But at the same time, I welcome all of the thousands of you who joined us this week. I can't even begin 
to keep up with the comments. I can't even begin to answer all the emails. Even as we bring on a team who's helping with all of this, I thank you for being here. Uh, we have work to do, my friends. It's time for us to get busy. And now, I just wanna say I'm th thankful for all of you here. Please be sure to follow me on all my platforms. And just know that my time here with you has taught me something because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now I pray that you go in peace. I pray that you know you are loved. And I want you who know who has, is suffering from religious trauma, who is trying to find your road on the spiritual but not religious path, who has been judged and persecuted and excluded from parts of your life because of the color of your skin or where you were born or because of who you love or your gender identity, you're seen here, my friends. You're welcome here and you're loved. All right, I'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bless you. If you like what you heard today, be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. To have your question featured on an episode, email us at spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. Head over to revcarla.com to sign up for Rev Carla's unique daily sacred course, Holy in the Everyday. And as always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now.